Uh, we're turning to Luke chapter 1, please. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we're continuing our studies in prayer. Uh, the prayers of the faithful coming to the period of Christ's birth. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we've looked already at the prayer of a church, the prayer of a widow. Last time we considered the prayer of a child. Little Samuel, whom God called to speak his truth in the land of Israel. And this morning we're going to consider the prayer of a father. The prayer of a father. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1 and verse 57, please. Verse 57, Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him be called. And he asked, him for, he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them, laid them upon their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets which have been since the world began. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he sware to our father Abraham. That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thy child shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Amen. And we know the Lord, as always, will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. The much-loved Christian author C.S. Lewis is often referenced by preachers in connection to his biblically inspired works of fantasy. Last Sunday, Stephen started his message with a quote from one of his famous books. Born in Belfast and studying in Oxford, Lewis ended up publishing over 30 books. And by the time of his death in 1963, he had become a globally recognized name with a sizable following of fans, both young and old. And yet, on the day that he died, just a few days short of his 65th birthday, hardly anyone acknowledged it wasn't in the papers, didn't make the news, wasn't even discussed on the same TV and radio stations he'd appeared on just a few months before. 
didn't make the news because on the day C.S. Lewis died, the 22nd of November 1963, U.S. President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. Didn't make the news because there was a greater story to tell. Didn't hit the papers because significant as the death of C.S. Lewis was, wasn't the biggest thing to happen that day. And when we revisit the Christmas narrative, when verses are read, when carols are sung, and nativity characters considered, we think about the wise men. We wonder at the shepherds. We imagine the angels. We think of Mary and the burden she carried, both physically and emotionally, Joseph and his quiet faithfulness. And of course, we think of the Lord who came, the little baby wrapped in swaddling bands and laid in a manger. We'll even talk about the donkey. We don't even know if it was there or not. But how often do we consider that at exactly the same time, an incredible, miraculous thing was happening in the life of Elizabeth and Zacharias? At literally the same time, before Gabriel ever appeared to Mary, he visited Zacharias. When Mary heard her own news, it was the now pregnant Elizabeth that she went to. Folks, this birth of John the Baptist is so intertwined with the Christmas narrative that it's impossible to ignore. And yet, how many of us actually knew it was in those opening chapters? Do you know, it's so important that when Luke sat down to write his carefully considered and spirit-led account of all that took place, this is where he started. It says in verse 5, There was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course, or performing the duties of Abiah, and his wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before the Lord, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. This elderly couple who many years before had prayed for a child and not known the Lord's blessing in that way, their prayer of verse 13 hadn't been answered. And yet now, now, when it seemed impossible, God was choosing to reward their unwavering service with the joy of a newborn son. And as the incense rose in the temple in verse 9, a beautiful symbol of the sweet-smelling prayers of God's people. The Lord sends Gabriel to tell Zacharias that the time has come. Elizabeth will finally be able to bear a child, a child that will proclaim a special message. And his name was to be called John. Zacharias says to the angel in verse 18, whereby shall I know this? How will I know? How will I know that she can bear a child? How's this going to be any different from any other time? We've tried before. And now we're old. How will I know? And the angel answering in verse 19 said, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and I'm sent to speak unto thee and show thee glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, unable to speak, until the day that these things be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. How will you know? 
You'll know because of the silence of your own mouth. A silence that will not be broken or a silence that will only be broken once the promise is fulfilled. A silence that would only be broken once the promise was fulfilled. What's going on here? So you could say, well, this is just God preparing to bring forth John the Baptist. But children had been called before. God had called children into service before. He called Samuel. He called Samson. He called Jeremiah. All of which were appointed for service even before they were born. But they weren't miracles. John was to be a miracle. A miracle the like of which hadn't been seen since Sarah, the mother of nations, gave birth to Isaac. A couple who, humanly speaking, were far beyond childbirth, yet God miraculously gave them the ability to have a child, a child of purpose, a child of promise, a child of answered prayer, just like with Abraham when they had Isaac. But why? The Gospel of Luke doesn't open with Joseph. It starts with Zacharias. It records the birth of John before revealing the arrival of Christ. Why? Well, I think it's because for us to understand the coming of Christ, we need to first understand the nation that he came to. Zacharias portrays the nation. He was found in the temple. He represented the law. He was of the order of the priests. He prayed to the Father. He was in a privileged position. And yet he didn't believe the word. Zacharias portrays the nation. And he does it in three very interesting ways. Firstly, through a supernatural pregnancy. When the angel visited Mary, it was private. The arrival of her child could be explained from the outside anyway. In human terms. A soon to be married couple. It wasn't ideal that they would fall pregnant. But it happens. The watching world could have explained it. Away to themselves as they'd wanted to. But not so with Zacharias. Verse 22 it tells us that the people immediately concluded that he'd seen a vision. And Elizabeth although she hid for five months. Eventually had to be seen. A woman far beyond childbearing age, clearly now expecting a child. That wasn't something that even the most ardent unbeliever could explain away by logic. The Lord had done a work. And the Lord quite publicly had done a work to the extent that it had not been seen since the formation of the nation of Israel. Through Abraham, their father. This was incredible. Right on the cusp of the incarnation of the Son of God, the Lord Jehovah was making a statement, and it was a loud one. He's saying, The power of God is at work once again among my people. Zacharias portrayed the nation through supernatural pregnancy, but he also portrayed the nation through symbolic pausing. Because what happened to him? 
in disbelief, having heard what the angel said, Zacharias lost the ability to communicate. He was struck dumb. He was plunged into silence because he didn't believe the word that he was told. And listen, I don't blame him. Do you think how you would have reacted if you'd have been given that news? But in his disbelief, he portrayed the nation of Israel. You see, for 400 years, Israel had been plunged into silence. Maybe you've wondered before why we have two testaments. Why are they separated, the old and the new? It's because there's 400 years between them where God didn't speak. Certainly to our knowledge, a period of silence in which as far as we know, God, the God of the covenant, did not communicate with his people. No prophets, no writings, no revelation, no vision, nothing. Only silence. A symbolic pausing of God's holy word. Malachi 4 records the final known communication between God and his people where he says, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That was about 400 years before the arrival of John the Baptist. 400 years of silence. And how do we know it was John that was being prophesied? Because Gabriel said in verse 17 that John will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It was finally happening. The promise was being fulfilled. And what did Gabriel tell Zacharias? He told them that the silence would be broken once the promise was fulfilled. After 400 years, God was finally breaking his silence. And I think what it reminds us, and sometimes we do well to remember this because it's hard, is that God works to his own timeline. God works to his own timeline. He was never going to abandon his people. The coming of Christ proves that. But for what, 15 generations? 400 years? There was nothing. Millions of Jews who didn't get to hear the voice of God, didn't experience that deep sense of connection, didn't feel like they were being blessed. Zacharias portrayed the nation. He was condemned to silence. Appointed to suffering, his inability to communicate would have felt like a curse rather than a blessing, and in many ways it was. But what I want you to see is that this experience for both Zacharias and the nation of Israel was a sign in itself. It was a symbolic pausing. It meant something. It was a sign of the promise. The last word of Israel's God before he plunged them into silence was, I will send my prophet and he shall turn the hearts of their fathers. The very next thing he did was to fulfill that promise by sending John and ultimately by sending Christ. But he did it on his timeline. Luke chapter 2 records two individuals who waited for that promise, who believed in that promise, Simeon 
and Anna, they waited their whole lives to see it. And they did see it. But others had passed on. Just because it didn't happen in their lifetime didn't mean it wasn't going to. God is faithful. God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his people. And that never changes. Sharon and I know a family who used to live pretty close to us. And all the time we knew them, probably about 15 years, maybe more, they had no interest in spiritual things. No time for the word of God. But the man had a godly mother. A mother who prayed constantly for her son and his family. A few years ago she passed away. And I don't know if it was out of guilt or respect or grief that made him do it. But a few weeks after she died, he started going to church. And he came to the Lord. His wife then got saved. And his children and several other members of the family started going to church. She never got to see it. She endured the silence. Start to finish. She believed in the power of God. She clung to the promises. And I know many of you are praying. And only you know what the Lord has given you in your heart. A message from himself, a word of comfort. Maybe a promise of hope. I want to encourage you to cling on to that. Bring it before the Lord and believe it. And know that sometimes even the silence itself is a sign that God is at work. Zacharias portrayed the nation through supernatural pregnancy. He portrayed the nation through symbolic pausing. And thirdly, he portrayed the nation through sound proclamation. In the passage we read, Zacharias and Elizabeth are under pressure. The family and friends are gathered for the circumcision and they've decided that this young boy would carry the name of his father. He'd be called Zacharias. And Elizabeth said, oh no, no, no. His name shall be John. So they turn to the father and they ask him and of course Zacharias can't speak at this point. Verse 65 tells us that they asked for a writing table and wrote saying, or he asked, Zacharias asked for a writing table and wrote down saying his name is John. And they marveled. He proclaimed truth. And immediately his mouth was opened and he praised the Lord. Zacharias had been condemned to silence. Israel had been condemned to silence. But that didn't mean they couldn't be useful. It didn't mean they couldn't share the truth. I used to play a bit of badminton at school. You would know by looking at me. I think the rules have changed now. But I remember one of the rules uh, whenever we were playing at school was that you could only win points on your own serve. I don't imagine that's still a rule now. But certainly back then, unless you won a point on your serve, you couldn't make any progress. You couldn't get any points. And I think sometimes we treat the Christian life the same way. If I'm down... If I'm silenced, if I'm sidelined, if I've lost my serve, 
I can't make any progress. Whether through illness or sin or hurt. If I'm down, I can't speak. I can't do anything, anything for the Lord. I can't speak truth. Folks, that's not true. You can speak truth. Even in silence, Zacharias was faithful. Even when sidelined, Zacharias spoke truth. And the moment the silence was lifted, he praised the Lord. For 400 years, God shared no new revelation with his people. But he was still using them. The Old Testament scriptures were translated into multiple languages during that time. That had never happened before. The Greeks were asking all sorts of philosophical questions and looking at Hebrew tradition for some of the answers. That had never happened before. The Romans had built a network of roads coming out from Jerusalem in all directions that would make the spread of the gospel so much easier. That had never happened before. God was still using his people, even in a period of silence. You don't need to be in blessing to be useful. You don't need to be winning to speak truth. You don't. The devil will try and tell us we have to be bouncing from the ceiling before we can share with anybody. We don't. Sometimes the more, most effective witness is somebody that's down and still knows what they believe. Even in silence, you can be an effective witness for Christ. And just as God has used Israel to proclaim the message of truth to the world, so God used Zacharias to soundly proclaim the message of hope to all who would listen. Verse 65, And fear came on all that dwelt round about. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout the hill country of Judea. And all that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child is this? Zacharias portrayed the nation. And secondly, he prophesied the Messiah. Zacharias prophesied the Messiah. We read his prayer. The prayer of a father, and it's a prayer of prophecy. Verse 67, and Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He prophesied of Messiah's parentage. This child that was to be born of Mary was the very God of heaven. We sang it earlier, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, heal the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. This was Emmanuel, God with us. For he hath visited and redeemed his people. He was of heavenly parentage. But he was also of earthly parentage. Verse 69, And hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Zacharias fully believed this would be the incarnation of the Son of God, the reality of God with them. But humanly speaking, he was of the line of David. He was in the line of the king. 
legally, and that bit's important, legally he was born into the house of David because he was born into the house of Joseph. And according to the genealogy of Luke chapter 3, so too was Mary. Mary was born in the line of King David. In his very flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came from Mary, carried within him the DNA of the royal line. Zacharias was praising God for the uniquely miraculous dual nature of the coming king. But what does that mean for us? It means Hebrews 4.15. We have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted and tried and tested like as we are, yet without sin. He fulfilled every prophecy, but he did it while experiencing the full intensity of a fallen world. Every pain you feel, whether it's physical or emotional, or mental, or spiritual. Every weakness that we experience is the result of a fallen world. And Christ experienced them all. Yet where we crumble, He triumphs. Where we break, He pushes through. Where we desperately want to throw in the towel, Jesus comes through victorious. Because although his parentage is earthly, he was and is and forever will be the perfect, holy, and divine Son of the Heavenly Father. Zacharias prophesied of Messiah's parentage. He also prophesied of his purpose. Verse 70, As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. The hand of all that hate us. Those that were out on a Wednesday night will remember my dad speaking about a Jewish lady in Austria who with pain in her eyes said, nobody loves us. Hated on all sides. But he will deliver them from the hand of all that hate them. This is a national purpose. Zacharias knew the promises. He knew that regardless of the current oppression and despite the future tribulation, this baby born in Bethlehem would be the one to deliver his people once and for all out of the hand of all their enemies. And folks, that's a national purpose for Israel that's still to be fulfilled. To perform, verse 72, the mercy promised, committed to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Folks, this hasn't yet happened. The current reality in the Middle East makes that very clear. And unless Zacharias was very wrong, then here we have at the incarnation of Christ in the New Testament, a promise of the full and permanent deliverance of the nation of Israel from out of the hand of all their enemies. There's a lot to happen before that, but you can rest assured that that's going to happen. That time will come. 
the national purpose of Messiah, but of course we also have the personal purpose of Messiah. Verse 74, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. This isn't the response of a nation. This is the response of an individual. That we might serve in righteousness and holiness all the days of our life. Jesus came and will come to deliver Israel out of the hand of their enemies, but he also came so that individuals, men and women, might serve him in righteousness, in holiness and without fear. Without fear of judgment, without fear of failure, without fear of rejection, that we might serve without fear all the days of our life. In 1919, as the United States were embroiled in talks over long-term peace in Europe, The sitting president, Woodrow Wilson, spent a significant period on the sidelines with illness. It's likely he suffered a stroke and was left severely paralyzed down one side and blind in one eye. But with the United States needing a leader then more than ever, Mr. and Mrs. Wilson set about convincing the nation that he was as strong as ever. And for almost 18 months in the immediate immediate aftermath of a devastating world war, they lived in constant fear of the real truth being discovered. The personal purpose of the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ as a little baby was that we as individuals trusting in the accomplished and the accomplishment of Christ's work would never need to fear the real truth being discovered. Every one of us scrubs up well, don't we? We look the part. But if you were to know the real truth about every individual in here, you might not want to share a room with them. The things they think, the people they spend time with, the stuff they watch, the way they treat their employees, the way they speak to their children, the opinions they hold. Chances are you might well hesitate to sit at the Lord's table with them. But God knows all of those. Every single one of them. She's our darkest, deepest secret. She's our tolerance for sins that we allow in our own lives but don't allow in others. And he says, I will send the righteousness of my son Jesus so that you no longer need to fear. Because it's all covered in the blood. All of it. That's why when a brother or sister falls into sin, we walk with them. We don't cut them off. Because we know, or we ought to know, that every one of us is capable of the same. It's why we grieve when we ourselves fall, because we, we know what we are. We know exactly what we are. But we see what he is. 
And the Spirit within convicts us in the light of Christ's righteousness, but the Spirit doesn't cut us off. You look at King David, a sin that would have given any one of us grave concerns, a sin that had lasting consequences, and yet Nathan firmly but lovingly brought the Word of God to him and walked him through a path of repentance. Folks, we can serve without fear because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Zacharias prophesied about his parentage. He prophesied about his purpose. And finally, he prophesied about his provision. Speaking of John, he said, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. This is the provision of salvation. The Son of God was bringing salvation to the people by the remission of sins. It's a very, when you say, biblical word, that's a a remission. Remission just means to release from captivity. Salvation from bondage. And just like John, that's the message that we have to proclaim. Salvation from bondage, liberation from captivity, freedom from sin. No longer the mercy of Satan, but under the tender care and mercy of God. When Jesus came to Nazareth in Luke chapter 4 and visited the synagogue, he opened up the scriptures at Isaiah 61 and he read, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And sitting down, he said, today is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Folks, that's the message of Christmas. That's the message we have for the people of St. Faith. Brokenhearted. Jesus heals held captive by addiction, imprisoned by your own thoughts, Jesus sets you free. The baby born in Bethlehem brings salvation from bondage. But even more than that, the baby born in Bethlehem brings assurance for eternity. Verse 78, Through the tender mercy of God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. What a phrase that is. Visited us to do what? To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. The blessings of Christ aren't limited to the now. They're essential for the hereafter. A light to guide our feet in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the eternal security of heaven. The baby born in Bethlehem brings assurance for eternity. That's the message we have to proclaim. The prayer of a father about Jesus, his Messiah. The unique reality of his parentage, the liberating fulfillment of his purpose, 
and the eternally transforming assurance of his provision. We don't often think about him, old Zacharias, do we? But boy, did he have an insight into who Jesus was. And I trust that as we go into the next few days and on into 2024, we too, every one of us, would have a right view of Christ and would have a right view of ourselves. Being willing to walk in support of one another as we seek to proclaim the sound message of the gospel to those around us. What a message we have to give to people. It's incredible. I pray that the Lord would help us to do that going on into next year. Amen. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths that we've considered in your word, Lord. We thank you for uh, this example, Lord, in Zacharias, Lord, who uh, sidelined through, uh, in many ways, through his own doubting, through his own inability to comprehend and fully believe the word of God. And Lord, we sympathize with him. We know that for many of us it would be exactly the same, Lord. We struggle sometimes to fully appreciate the might of our God. And yet, Lord, we thank you that although sidelined, you still had our work for him. And Lord, we know that there are many who struggle to feel involved, maybe in some of the works in the church, who feel on the periphery, Lord, of the activities. Maybe for other reasons, Lord, maybe illness or uh, genuine fears, Lord, in this world, Lord, they feel sidelined, they feel silenced. Lord, I pray that this morning you would help them to see that there's a work for them to do. And even in the silence, Lord, you are at work. And that for them, Lord, even the silence might be an opportunity for them to get to know their God. It may be an opportunity for them to search out the Scriptures. It may be an opportunity for them to witness faithfully in their difficulties. Lord, whatever it is, help us to see that we don't have to be feeling like we're in cloud nine to be used of you. But even sometimes in the depths, Lord, you have a work for us to do. Give us that desire to seek that. May we be open, Lord, to your leading in whatever you would have us to do. And Lord, we thank you for this wonderful message of a savior that we can proclaim to the people around us. Lord, help us to be faithful in doing that. And we ask, Lord, that you would take these things, Lord, apply them to our hearts. Bless them to us in your precious name. Amen. I'm going to sing again, folks. Um, 165 in the books. Who is he in yonder stall? This is another one. There's quite a few verses. Uh, we're going to sing um, the first two and the last two. So that would be, sorry, the first two and the last three. Quite short verses, I think. So that will be one, two, five, six, and seven for the guys at the back or if you're following along in the book. 165, one, two, five, six, and seven. Please stand and sing.